You are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad. It's good to be here with you, bud. My dad, Erwin McManus. Oh, that's right. That's who he I am. He is here. We are here together. <laughs> and if if you're coming into this episode with a little bit of resentment because we didn't put out an episode on Tuesday, we put out a mini. Gave you time for reflection. We gave you time for yourself. <laughs> some, some me time. So you're welcome. So you're welcome. <laughs> We are really grateful for every single person that listens to this podcast. Really grateful. I've been going in, looking at the emails that I have neglected. And um, we, we, I got a ping right before we walked in to this conversation that basically was a notice of all of the things reopening in LA, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And so I, I kind of had this thought, this idea, could we talk about reopening as a city, but reopening as individuals. Mm. Because I think over the last year, and it's been a year, our year anniversary of whatever this thing was, we are now starting to kind of peek outside the cave, Mm -hmm. open the windows, you know, explore past our sidewalks. Um, And if you're in the middle of America or in Texas, there are still places in the world where, you know, COVID restrictions were real. And, People and were even, wearing masks. So this idea of it's one thing to reopen a city, but will we reopen our own selves, our own humanity, and our own relationships? Yeah. And keeping that metaphor um, going, uh, there are a lot of restaurants, and I was just reading about this yesterday, how here in LA, I think with the 25% restriction, right? for some restaurants, that makes perfect sense. They mm-hmm. can... Um, they can open up at 25% and it's minimally viable for them. But for other restaurants, opening up at 25% is not even economically viable. Yeah. In fact, that's for most of them. And and so even though it looks like they're getting to reopen, the, the restrictions, limitations essentially keep them closed. And, and I started thinking about that even on a personal level, that even though it looks like everyone is on equal footing in reopening, it's not true. Right. Some people, reopening means a lot more for them than for others. So, some people never lost their job. And so rebuilding kind of a, a new them, a new future, new you know self isn't as hard because they, they, they've had a job the whole time. For some of them, they like their job better now <laughs> working from home. Right. And, and they almost feel imposed upon being asked to come back to an office or to a building. And so I want, and then there are other people who lost their jobs, they lost their careers, they lost their future, they had to relocate. In fact, I would say there's a lot of people who had to um, give up their dreams, go back home, have moved back in with their parents and or with the family, and they feel like they, they've just regressed 10 years to where they were when they were 18. Right. And, and so even when you're talking about how to reopen yourself, I, I think the reality is that even the reopening isn't level. It isn't even for everyone. It can be incredibly different and difficult for some people. Yeah. I mean, I imagine so many people are feeling disheartened. They were building something, they were building something, and then, you know, maybe it just all hit pause. Mm -hmm. And, And what do you do when you've poured your life into something and then your life stops? And you're there and you're like hanging in suspended animation, watching the world just be still for a year. Mm-hmm. The politics, the 
the the uprising politically and 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 all of the protests and then you kind of get to this point where you're like okay I've been told to shut down the social life, my family life, my business life. I can work if it requires pretty much me in my home, X, Y, Z, or if I'm an essential worker. And then what's deemed an essential worker. So there's been so much, I think, disappointment over the last year mm-hmm. that now I, I know that even myself, it's like to go back into social situations must be a mountain people are, will be a mountain people are going to climb. So how I think even my question to you today is is how do we reopen our lives? How do we reopen our lives when when we're still shutting ourselves down? Or we're so used to shutting down. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean I think it's a great question. I think the starting point is um reopening your life is not the same as reclaiming the life you once had. Okay. That if you spend your energy trying to get back what you've lost, get back to normal. Yeah, get back to normal. Get yeah. back to where you were. Um, you're you're going to miss the opportunities in this moment, because one of the hardest things in the world to realize is what you lost may no longer be viable, may no longer be available, may no longer be there for you, and um, and so I think step one is don't try to reconstruct your future by reclaiming your past. Okay. And, you know, in a practical way, that job may never be there again that you had last year. That relationship that ended, it, it may never come back. Okay. You, you know, that... Um, that probably, up, she's not coming back. She's not coming back. He's not coming uh, back. She moved on. And that that dream that you had a year and a half ago, it... it may not be the most viable dream. And it certainly may not be your first step. And so one thing, so the first thing I would say is um, don't try to go backwards and reclaim what you lost. You need to go through a grieving process. And, and, and frankly, it needs to be quick. And I know that sounds cold, but time does not wait on you to be ready. And so when the world begins to reopen, it's going to favor those who move courageously into the future. And, um, and it will be a, a liability to those who, who choose on a, a mindset of being a victim and saying, you don't know what I've been through, you don't know what I've lost, you don't know the pain I've been through, and um, how dare you expect me to move on. And, and the reality is that you may be right. No one understands your pain. No one understands what you're feeling. No one understands what, you, what you've gone through. It doesn't change the fact that you still have to step into this moment if you're going mm. to re- reopen and rebuild your life. I'm writing this down. And a lot of times we want, we don't want just empathy, we want sympathy. And, and then we want, out of that sympathy, um, we want the world to realign itself around what we're going through, realizing that most of us don't get the benefit of having the world adjust to us. Mm. And we... We have to engage the world that's there. And, you know, so there, there are a lot of marriages that are fragile because of the last year, year and a half. People... Um, I've seen so many people divorced. Yeah. 
so many people's marriages ended in this period of time. It's so sad. And there's there are e- even equally as many marriages that are fragile because they their relationship had never had to sustain this level of proximity. Yeah. You, you know, going to work and doing other things and having a life outside of your spouse is a part of the dynamic that keeps your marriage healthy. Yeah. And so when you become completely insulated and the only other relationship you have is the spouse, you begin to project on them every need you have. And they cannot be every relationship you need. Yeah. In fact, if that one person is everything you need, it's unhealthy in your life. Mm. And uh, and so I think that's a part of like that dynamic difference. I mean, Kim is never going to be able to talk to me about sports. She just doesn't care. She's, she's not going to be able to talk to me about so many things that I'm interested in because she's just not interested. She's not going to sit down and want to watch with me uh, Jack Ryan or, you know, or, um, or Inception. That's just not what fascinates her. And, and so as long as my world matches her world, we match. But when I need her to match all of my world, it becomes a mismatch. Right. And this is a part what people have to factor in that when you begin to rebuild yourself, you need to realize there are things that you lost that you may not even be able to identify. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand why you feel like you're in a deficit or something's missing. Right. And you don't really have... You've had a year and a half for Mm self-reflection. So now it's time where you have to actually do a self-assessment and move forward. Mm -hmm. And... It, the one example that comes to mind is when you're grieving the loss of someone you loved, your heart isn't really ready to discover a new love. Mm. And so you have to get past the grieving of what you've lost and begin to move into an excitement for what can be gained. Mm. This posture, it's a psychological posture, but before you deal with anything else specific, it's the most important aspect of opening your, of reopening yourself. Does that make sense? Mm. You know, even when I was listening to this, uh, reading this article, um, it's the um, the owner of is it LP EP EPLP EPLP, and talking about how they're critically aware of opening up twenty five percent kills the energy of the room. Yeah, and and a part of the restaurant isn't just the food; it's the ambiance, it's the essence, it's the energy, and so it isn't viable for them. And he said, "We're just going to keep um, opening up the roof." Yeah. But not the restaurant. Yeah. And it's it's the same inside the human soul. Yeah. You know, when, when people are saying to you, we're open but not really open, it may not create the internal energy you need yeah. to get up every day with excitement and enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have to realize that even reopening has its limitations. Right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's gonna it's gonna create for everyone a crisis. So let's talk about jobs. All right, let's say you you're, you don't have a job, or but you had a great job before. Or actually, your job was terrible, but your memory of it lies to you and tells you it was an awesome job. Yeah. You didn't like your job, so you lost it. And that's one of the things that's interesting about us human beings. When we're in a bad relationship, we actually miss that person more after the relationship's over. We remember that person wrong by only remembering the good a lot of times. And so we want that person more. It's just like a job. You probably didn't love your job. You probably kind of hated your job and you wished you had the courage to find a new job. And when it all came to an end, suddenly you love this job you've lost. So what you need to realize is a part of your future is you, your first job opportunity may not be your career. 
See, I think a lot of people are going to be scrambling right now going, I can't find a job. What they really mean is I can't find the perfect job. Yeah. And what I would say is step one is get a job. Mm. Like get, get, get the imperfect job. Get the job that is a transitional job that helps you pay the bills until you have the job you really want. Yeah, I don't understand when people quit. They have a business idea, and then they quit their job, and then go start the business. I'm like, no, no. If you couldn't start it on Saturday and Sunday and at 5 a.m. and at 10 p.m., you know what I mean? Then mm-hmm. you're, it's not going to work. Yeah, I always tell people before you have a new career, you need to have a new hobby. Yes. And you build that hobby, and then you begin to monetize that hobby. And when you can actually make that hobby economically viable, then you can move to your next uh, career. And, and in a beautiful way, you're self-funding your new future, your new company, your 100%. new opportunity. Yeah. No, I think there's something there. Um, as far as this idea of reopening ourselves to a new future and reopening ourselves to people and reopening ourselves to relationships and reopening ourselves, I, I think it's, it's – um, I think we've achieved a, a place in our country and in maybe in our world where – we're longing for the things we once had, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and no matter h- how you word it, whether the new normal or the new abnormal or mm-hmm. just 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 the future in general, mm-hmm. I think the reality is that like whenever we're trying, I love the the, the in I don't know which book it, you write it. In. I think it's an, unst- an unstoppable force. But it talks about Gattaca. Um. No, I think it's um, the last arrow. The last arrow. The last, the last arrow. arrow. Save nothing yes. for the save nothing for the next life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of your books. We don't talk about your books enough on here. We need to talk about your books. <laughs> you have written incredible books: Unsolvable Force, Seizing Your Divine Moment, Soul Cravings, actually um, Chasing Daylight. Chasing da- well, it's Chasing Daylight. You're right. It was yeah, yeah. Seizing Your Divine Moment, and then it rebranded itself to Chasing Daylight, and then we shot the cover. Yeah, we were fighting about that cover the other day. I love that cover. We have the last arrow, the way of the warrior, the artist and soul. Last soul cravings, soul yeah. cravings. My uprising, uprising. Wide awake, wide awake. If you're wondering which one you should start with, if you're like working in church and want to know like theology, unsolvable force. If you're like maybe I'm an atheist or a Buddhist, and you're like wondering about a spiritual journey, soul cravings. If you're like yoked out of your mind and you're like a football player, basketball player, cycler, then the 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 Warrior Chronicles, the Last the, Arrow, the, the Way of the Warrior, the Bar Go OG first, Barbarian Way, the Last Arrow, the Way of the Warrior. But I would say if, if you're, you're struggling with depression, anxiety, stress, it's the Way of the Warrior. The Way of the Warrior yeah. and anxiety, yeah, anxiety and need a peace, inner peace, mm-hmm. which was crazy mm-hmm. because I was watching. You had sent me a show to watch called Last Chance You yeah. on Netflix, uh-huh. and I thought you had watched it, but you had only watched. A no, little I just bit saw of the it. trailers of it, and I realized it was Elac where we used to gather as a mosaic. So Elac, East Los Angeles Community College, is is that's Elac, East Los Angeles Community College. That's ELAC. Yeah. There's two C's, but they abbreviate it. So Mosaic, when you moved out of the hood, you had like a couple hood adjacent Mm -hmm. spots where you met before you got to Hollywood, which is another hood, Hollywood. Um, East Los Angeles College. What city is that in? Is it St. Gabriel? Uh, No, it's actually in Monterey Park. Monterey Park. Yeah, which is an interesting thing because it used to be in East LA. Okay. But Monterey Park is considered East LA. Well... No, the actual area of East LA. Is and, called, oh, and okay. Monterey Park um, incorporated the 
the land around the college so it would actually be a part of Monterey Park. It was very clever. That's super smart. <laughs> That's super smart. <laughs> We're watching this show, and I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Brooke, can you look up the, who the coach is for this season? Um, incredible character. Mm-hmm. He has these, like, temper tantrums. <laughs> he's, like, screaming. He's, like, trying to get these guys. Um, and essentially, the whole premise is that he's a basketball coach at ELAC Community College. He was on like a fifteen thousand dollar a year stipend. Mm-hmm. He had to teach cycling classes during the day to the teach bat to be the basketball coach at night. Um, and then one of the most interesting scenes in like the second episode, the first episode, one of the young guys is like, "Hey, I can't sleep. I'm not sleeping." He's like the leader of the team. He's the captain. Mm-hmm. And I've become just such a big fan of the school because it's like underprivileged, no budget. These kids aren't on meal plans. They're coming from all over the city, driving two hours to come and play basketball and go to school. And what's the name of the coach? John Mosley. John Mosley, Coach Mosley. Mm-hmm. Shout and out to heard, Coach Mosley. Shout out to Coach Mosley. He, the kid says basically like, I can't sleep. And his he shares a story of like his mom had died the year before of cancer mm-hmm. and his dad died two years before. He's just on his own trying to get through school, trying to play basketball. And his kid's like 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you need peace. And he's like, I'm just telling you, like, put the Bible app on, hit play, just listen to it while you go to sleep. He's like, bring peace to your soul. Mm. And the kid, and it's just like a beautiful, intimate moment where he's like, he's not, he's not, you know, he just was, he was answering the question that that kid was asking. Mm. of like, basically what, what was, what is going on here mm. with my, with myself. And it was a really beautiful moment. It also just reminded me that that's what the way of the warrior is about. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize that, like, I was texting with Kevin Pena this weekend. We're gonna go to some Elac games because oh. they have no one who goes to the games. I was like, we gotta go. Yeah, it's only like twenty minutes down the street. We it's gotta so, go. So Anyways, but uh, it's a good point that a part of reopening your life is making sure that what you have inside your life is healthy. Mm-hmm. And you know, reopening your life isn't going to bring you inner peace. It isn't going to bring you serenity or calm. It isn't going to uh, give you balance. Um, reopening your life is just going to expose what's in your life or what's missing from your life. Yeah, that's interesting. We were talking about this this morning. We have like a little team meeting at what used to be 8.30, mm-hmm. but they unionized and they won. So 9.30 <laughs> is the time. Brian's saying amen in there. <laughs> is saying, you better put that in there. <laughs> you better put the hand raise in there. Um, he's rolling his eyes. Um, I like early mornings. Mm-hmm. I don't think 8.30 is that early. 9.30 is now what we meet at. We do a little team meeting. You came in, you joined us a little bit. And it's just like our production creative mm-hmm. team. And um, and we were uh, talking about basically like we're cleaning out Hollywood, our building. And mm-hmm. South Pass has already kind of done this. They're mm-hmm. like a little bit further along than we are. And we were talking about this back room and we were kind of highlighting all these rooms that don't have a purpose. And they're not rooms. They're like little mini closets, like, mm-hmm. you know, storage closets. This building does not have mm-hmm. a lot of storage. No. It doesn't really even have a lot of rooms. Um, and, but there's this big section behind the stage. It used to be where the organ, the pipe organ used to be. And so uh, we were, we were, we ripped out this wall that was, it was just fabric. It wasn't really a wall. It was like nylon, old nylon. So we're kind of upgrading some things. And we just saw all of the garbage that was back there. Wow. Just lights, cables, you know, we're modifying a building that was 19 from the 1940s, 50s, 50s, putting cabling, it's running out of random doors. And it was a great example. And I I, I said this, I was like, the things people don't see, how you treat those spaces, how you organize those spaces, how you tend to those things that people don't see will will, um, contribute to how people perceive you. 
to the peace you're able to bring on the outside. It translates into what people see. Yes. So how we take care of the things that we don't see will contribute to what people do see. And so, you know, like even just waking up this morning, I like, I left your house yesterday. We watched the Clippers game and I was like, okay, I need to go do laundry. I need to full clothes. I need to put some stuff away. I need to make my, you know, just like get some stuff done so that when Monday comes, there's a different level of peace than waking up and things are disarray. Mm -hmm. And I came back, we went and shot Easter and Good Friday and Palm Sunday in in, um, Joshua Tree. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I did not like that place. It was weird. Yeah, we should have a we should have a battle ready where we talk about Joshua Tree. But I had left I had left in such a hurry. Stuff was everywhere. I had like boxes in the kitchen. I had dishes. I had trash. I had clothes. I had laundry. My bed. And I got home. I was like, I can never let this happen ever again. Mm. You know, it's just me. It's just me. And there was no one to see it and shame me. But I was just like, there is like a level of peace I get when I know that home life is taken care of, Yeah. when things are organized. And I think that's like a great place to start is like, what are the things that I sometimes feel like peace feels intangible, but there are like little things we can do to like have actual physical peace. Yeah. You can look at a person's car and look inside of their soul. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying not to drop bombs on people right now. <laughs> but it is so true. Yeah. If, 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 like, that is just a space, mm-hmm. an internal space. And something we talk about, too, in our, in our culture is, like, you should be able to pick up the most important person in your world at any given moment mm. and them feel like it's a, a safe place in their car. Mm. It doesn't matter how nice your car is, but is your car clean? Is it yeah. taken care of? Is it washed? Yeah, you know what I mean. Just like little discipline things. Mm. I mean, I think it's it's a great point that the way you take care of the private spaces of your life are completely reflective uh, of how you will actually create the visible places in your life, and and a lot of times we spend so much energy hiding who we are. Yeah. And we, we think that we're fixing ourselves by fixing the outer spaces of our life. Right. And so we have more things, we buy more stuff, we have more success, we work on more fame, we, you know, we try to make ourselves look better. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's the whole dynamic of why is it that people who feel incredibly empty in their soul have so much plastic surgery? Mm. And, you know, once a person becomes addicted to plastic surgery, you realize that it has nothing to do with their appearance. It has to do with the emptiness of their soul. Mm. Because you, you, you can't make your soul look better by reconstructing your bones and your, your skin and your face. Yeah. And it's tragic. And so it, I, I feel like not everyone goes to the extreme of plastic surgery. I'm just using that as an LA metaphor. No, I think it's a great LA metaphor. You know? Yeah. But it's so much more important to make sure your soul is healthy. And then it does really change your external appearance. It, it, you know, when you, look, when a person has joy, they're just more attractive. When a person has peace, they're just, they're just more beautiful, more handsome. And, you know, one of the most natural ways of making yourself look better on the outside is to actually get better on the inside. You know, one thing I was, I, you know, I, I don't know how deep I want to go. Here's where, we're, where, where, where I want to start with that. 
I think we live in an, we live we've talked about this a lot. We live in mm-hmm. a generation and in a culture where you you hide your deep dark stuff because the world uses that to shame you. Yeah. And so I don't want like if we are creating a space where we're no longer shamed by the stuff we're struggling with. Mm-hmm. How do you you know, cuz we're talking about this a, a lot like there's a governor that, you know, people are trying to cancel for whether good or right or wrong reasons, I don't know. I don't know his mm-hmm. inner life. I don't know those things. And but you know, but airing it in the media is is it's reading in the media. I try not to be a um a a like fuel to that fire, right? I, I don't want to spike because I think sometimes we we oftentimes we don't we don't think about how like I was reading about Skip Bayless. You're talking about like mm-hmm. he's a ESPN. Right. reporter and he talks a lot of trash he does yeah. I, I can't stand him at all if i met him in person i'd be nice to him because you know we're all we all have struggle with fake relational botox mm-hmm. but um like i can't stand lebron but if i met him i'm gonna be like yo what's up lebron how you doing bro? <laughs> my guy my guy my guy i'm gonna pull out my one laker hat my guy my guy my guy um um but but he was i was like reading were you telling me about skip bayless that he literally just follows he looks at like his insights and whatever spikes Oh, no, I, I didn't know this. He, like, whatever spikes, he just runs with. So he just says a bunch of stuff, puts out clips, and whatever like spikes his viewership, he right. runs on those subjects. And I'm like, there's a whole game now because it's social media, it's marketing. It's like sure. essentially everyone, if you're looking at it in a business perspective, you could look at your Instagram or your Twitter or whatever you get likes on and kind of, and kind of basically figure out for yourself what is marketable. Right and what right. people will actually click into and and pay attention to, but what what I try not to do is be a victim or maybe a part of, be a villain in those right. people's lives where like they're going through these things. But I was looking at it going like, okay, this just can't be the way anymore. Yeah, you know how do we how do we do this in a way that's healthier? But how do I inventory my own life to make sure that there are things, or how do I posture myself in a way where I don't feel like I'm perfect? How do I you know because I feel like I've postured myself. I'm going on a tangent. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to get to is this. How do we change the culture, not only for everyone around us, but our own selves by going, okay, look, this is what I have going on inside of me without being the broken people mm-hmm. who are always just like, I'm always depressed or I'm always, because I've been that person in the seasons, right? I've told you, I'm like, mm-hmm. every day I'm happy I text you because I want to yeah. be as happy as I am yeah. sad. Well, I really do believe with the adage that when we're too lazy to think, we judge. And Hold on. When we're too lazy to think, we judge. Yeah. Because really, it's it it's easier to judge than it is to think. Mm-hmm. And you didn't mention him, but you know, it's like uh, Governor Como is going through you know pretty you know intense time now. He's been accused by quite a few people for sexual harassment and 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 for also falsifying uh, information about um, deaths in a senior adult. Um, Elderly homes and, during you know, COVID, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, um, and I again, I have no idea. Yeah, about, we're not talking about what he did. We're talking right. about the way it's happening. Yeah, and and it, it, there is this, this swarming mentality, you, you know, and, 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 and that's where we have to be careful because it's such a great tool to use on your enemies until your enemies use them on you. Yeah. And, you know, and so... I, I do think that we have a culture that rushes to judgment rather than um, does the hard work of thinking. And 
now, of course, you know, if he's guilty of everything that he's being accused of and more, whatever else, uh, there's no question, you know, that he should resign. But I do think we're in this swarming culture where the moment it's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like we're sharks. The moment we smell blood in the water, we come and start devouring each other. And, and I, I think that's really, really curious. Then you have the contrast. I think this coach at ELAC, uh, yeah, I, guess he, I guess he's like a Christian. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a Christian. But in the film, he has a really volatile temper. In the show, yeah. And he uses pretty uh, intense profanity. Does he? I haven't, is he? Yeah. He does, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I'm sitting there watching, thinking, this is weird, but I'm actually going, oh, thank goodness. He's like a real human being. For sure. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and has a real faith. Yeah, yeah. Having a real faith doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're, you're just like sanitized. It doesn't mean yeah. that suddenly, you know, you're, um, you've lost even some of the, like the, the color of a personality or the grits of an athlete or the intensity of a coach. And, and, um, you, you know, and I think somehow we're, we're, we're in a strange place. We want people to real, to be real and authentic. And yet we want people to be perfect and without flaws. And you, you, you don't get both. You, you either get imperfect people with flaws and they have to have a, we have to have a culture that's safe enough to, you know, make mistakes or um, you're going to get fake because if everyone's perfect, if no one has flaws, let me tell you, if no one says anything worthy of being canceled, everyone's lying. Everyone's lying. <laughs> They're no. not telling what they really think because they know what they really think. This is the thing. It will cost them too much. Absolutely no one is perfect. So no one's perfect, right? Right. And if we believe that and we know that, there are just people who are better than others. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I salute you. Like you, you are someone who I'd go. You are better than others. You're not oh, perfect you. because no. there's stuff we all have. We all have stuff that yeah. we bug each other or whatever. But you're also very realistic mm-hmm. about. I'm not good at this, or I'm good at this. That's why mm-hmm. I hire these people to do this because I'm not good at that, or this is why I do this. I think the issue is like the issue, and you talked about this. Is like you talked about this a lot. It's like the, the issue is that character matters more. Than anything. More than talent. Yeah. More than talent. Yeah. What I don't agree with is that when talent gets you there and everyone ignores your character, and then people care about your character all of a sudden and then they crucify people for it. Yeah. Why would you be shocked that a 21 year old kid who grew up um, in a really intensely difficult environment and got a pass through junior high and high school, is paid $100 million to play a sport, doesn't have the character you expect him to have. I mean, what 21-year-old could actually handle $100 million well, or even $10 million, or even $1 million? And and so you're looking going, why are they doing that? It's because they're a 21-year-old kid without any wisdom. (laughs) And and if you had that much money at that age, how smart would you have been? Not that smart. (laughs) Not that smart. And I do think the NBA does a really good job of like setting up financial structures, but it's because you can't control people, but you have a mechanism and a machine that makes everyone who plays in it with some success a 
really wealthy person mm-hmm. at a really young age. But then I think that, that you know, and not 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 um, going past it, and I don't want to get too caught up on it, but I think just re- the reality of like, if the culture doesn't change, I do feel like there's a lot of people who could get help, won't get help because they're so afraid. Like I know mm-hmm. I'm afraid to yeah. talk about certain things, any anything because of of what could be said. And that doesn't, driving me into a, to a darker place doesn't help bring light into the situation mm-hmm. or to my own issues or depressions or anxieties. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We've talked about this a lot. It's like, it, so it's, it's it, how do we create a, so I try to be someone now who goes, anyone who's dealing with anything. And this is what I, I re- really loved about this show with Coach Mosley is that ELAC is known and Coach Mosley is known for being a place that it does not matter how badly you messed up before. If you're willing to show up and work and be open about your life and the stuff you're going through, he will work with you. Mm. So he has this kid in, in the episode like three where like he went, he tried out and then went to prison for two weeks, went to jail so t- jail for two weeks because he got caught doing something. And he kind of mm. like vaguely talks about it. Yeah. This guy named Joe. And he comes back to the games. Like he, like he, it was tryouts. So there's time between tryouts and season starts. Mm-hmm. The coach had no idea. So when he finally was like, look, I'm going to go to prison for a, like 20 years. I need you to write the judge a letter. Please help me. They let him, they basically like, he was like, look, but you can never hide this stuff. You have to be upfront with me so I can help you and be in your life. And that was a really beautiful, like it was a really great representation of Jesus because he's like, this guy is not easy. This guy is a pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like he's hurting our program, mm. but I'm not giving up on him because mm-hmm. it's not about his talent. It's actually about his, about helping him become a better man. Mm. And he asked for help. So I'm going to help him. Yeah. And like, we, there's got to be these shifts. Like I think reopening our lives is even deeper than just COVID and all these things. It's like, can we really come to a place where we go, look, I know I'm this person in people's lives. Can I need help and can I get it? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think we have to all ask ourselves, if someone comes to us asking for help, will we give it? Mm. Right. Or will we just burn them? You know? Mm. Well, that's, that's, I think, a really, really big question. And Because even as we're starting back up and we're talking about reopening our lives, I, I I think that for a lot of people, the cocooning of this last year feels safe. And they may not be as predisposed to want to reopen their life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We went to a little uh, birthday party um, this weekend for Milo, who's one years old. And my wife said, you know, do you want to come over to Milo's birthday party? And and I said, sure, I'll go with you. And I didn't know there would be so many people, probably the most people I've seen during the quarantine. A lot of children. Yeah. And, um, and were you stressed? I, I, yeah. Brooke mentioned something. Brooke mentioned something. I said, you walked in and you said, is this legal? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you haven't been nervous to be around people. No. Were you a little nervous? Not at all about COVID. Oh, about what? About my natural social anxiety. <laughs> so you were using COVID to cover up. <laughs> and I just usually have to have a warning 
if there's going to be that many people. Then if I'm going into like a, a real social setting. Yeah. And that was one of the few moments where I remembered what it was like pre-COVID for me, <laughs> because a lot of people don't realize that I'm actually probably like an extreme social introvert, especially when it comes to social settings. And and Milo looked freaked out. It was his one-year-old birthday. <laughs> and uh, he hasn't really been around that many humans, has he? No, he was. We had to sing happy birthday at basically a whisper. Yeah, we whispered so happy cry. birthday to him. Were you, was he crying a lot? No, he didn't cry, but he didn't smile. <laughs> the he, whole birthday. He looked paralyzed. I mean, she, just. <laughs> she was yeah. showing me photos of Milo. <laughs> And and um, he's gonna be therapy for years for his first birthday party. He's like, Mom, what happened to me when I was young? You're like, Well, this thing called COVID happened. But your baby was born, mm -hmm. Milo, who's mm -hmm. now one in like a, some change. He was born th this week or last week, last, last year, week. in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. You were in the hospital. I was like the last couple days where. Um, like Pastor Irwin visited us in the hospital. That's right. You're the last person I, I got to see in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Because then Tess had her baby two months after you. Yeah. Six weeks and no one could visit. Could, right, we they were saying her. even her husband wasn't even going to be able to go. We tried to hold up signs from the street so she could see us from her room and the cops made us leave. <laughs> wow. Hmm. It was really so sad. You, you, had the, you really had a pre-COVID baby. Barely. Barely. But you, but you call Barely. him a COVID baby. And, um, yeah. So, but, but my whole point of this was that Milo is one year, one year old and he has not had the opportunity to develop the psychological skills for human interaction. And that is going to be really traumatic uh, for him as he grows up to some degree, or, he, or at least but, it'll but be do, a challenge that, it, that you'll have to work through as parents. Yes. But I do think, though, that kids are very resilient. Yeah, they are. And Especially they're like incredibly young, adaptive. Young yeah. We were talking about this the other day, and we we're like, I think this generation will, I think it'll be harder for five to like nine year olds. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like for me, if this had been, you know, my eighth grade year going into freshman year, I would have been saved of all of my awkwardness. Like I would have had a, a full year of rebranding and rebuilding. <laughs> or it would have just been prolonged another year. You know what I mean? Like for all those kids who got their braces off during COVID, they're coming back with Looking vengeance. Good. A glow up. <laughs> with good. a glow up. Like I cannot, like in September, they will be popping. Popping. All right. But let me Teeth go Teeth clean, smooth, <laughs> buttery. Milo is my metaphor. <laughs> Milo's going to be all right. Milo's going to be all right, but there are a lot Just of- Just like you are if you're but, listening. But there are a lot of adults who have cocooned this year, and whether they would admit it or not, the quarantine allowed them to do what they were already doing emotionally and psychologically. They yes. were escaping the world around them. Yep. And now that the world is going to reopen, um, you have an atrophy that cannot be seen. It's not a physical um, atrophy. It's, it's an emotional, psychological, yes. relational atrophy. And you're going to have to start exercising those muscles again uh, because the world will not take care of you. I just need you to hear me. Like... You know, we're, we're having this almost you. $2 trillion relief budget. You, you got $1,400. That's what it is, right? You got, you, got, you got $1,400 one time. That is not enough to turn your life around. 
I don't know how in the world anyone could think that's going to be enough. Yeah. There isn't enough money in the world to help you in this transition. Mm. You've got to take a deep breath. Is it non-taxable? Yeah, it's not taxable. Okay. Yeah. That would be ironic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and, and even the system is ironic. You know, How much of our money are they going to take to give us back a little bit of our money? Oh, that's ironic, huh? <laughs> and, oh, the Dems. And uh, Aaron McManus. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm a registered Democrat <laughs> in the state of California. And uh, I'm just looking at Brian. But my giggling. whole point in this is, listen, if you're listening, you have to decide to get up and create a new future. Amen. You have to take your life in your hands. You yes. have to take your future as your responsibility. You can't blame anybody else. You can't look for someone else. If you have friends that are going to come alongside, you are a very fortunate person. If you have people in your life that are going to come along your side and help you, you're really fortunate. But a lot of people don't have those people in their life. Mm. And if you wait for someone to come and pull you into your next future, you're going to sit there and wait. You've got to get up and make basic decisions. I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to get to work. And if I don't have a job, my job is to find a job. Mm. If I don't have a purpose. My job is to find my purpose. Like you need to get up and do something and start with practical things. Start with um, walking, walking, Go outside, getting back in, into shape, getting out into sunlight and getting yourself out of the space of your house. Begin to have conversations with other human beings. Begin to put yourself out there relationally. Start talking to people and and uh, uh, go out. Go to dinner somewhere. Yeah, you're like like I think that was a thing. It, uh, you know, like someone asked me, "Have you been going out?" And I'm like, "I haven't. I, a lot of it's I haven't not been going out, but I haven't been going out. I've been kind of in my house, or people come over for dinner, or I go to someone else's for dinner, XYZ. But I'm like, you got to start. Go outside. Pick a place. Just put yourself in places of, you know, I went, where did I go? We went somewhere recently. Oh, the farmer's market mm -hmm. in LA. And it was exploding with people. COVID yeah. does not exist in the farmer's market. <laughs> and we were just picking up some food. And I loved it. I was like, this is so, it felt so good for people to be outside and to be around and to like be happy. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to find a way to enjoy life. And, um, and I was, uh, on FaceTime with this couple on the East Coast, trying to help them through their future life decisions about what they're going to do with their lives. Yeah. And one of the things I said to them, I said, you need to have one of your internal compasses be joy. Like when you think about the future you're going to create, does it provoke joy? Does it create in you a sense of happiness that you would get to live this kind of life, that you get to create this kind of life? To me, that's one of the most important internal compasses. And uh, if to do something meaningful in life that actually brings you joy. And, um, and I think a lot of times we don't factor that in. Like you just, you have more energy when you're doing something you care about. You have more energy when you're doing something that brings you joy. You have more energy when you do something that actually makes you happy. Right. And, and I, I think that you should pay attention to those things. And a little bit every day. Like some people say, well, I just, you know, it's easy to say, but I can't get a job I, I enjoy or I can't get a, I can't find a career that I love. Here's the thing. If you're unhappy, no job can give you happiness. 
Like if you're if you're bringing internal misery, every job will make you miserable. If you're unhappy, every relationship will be an unhappy relationship. Yeah. And you'll blame the job, you'll blame the relationship, you'll blame the church, you'll blame the environment. But the truth is, that environment was fine till you got there. But you're bringing despair and unhappiness and bitterness, and and you're the one that's actually creating that negative environment there. So you have to deal with you. You have to deal with anything that's there that's toxic, like bitterness or anger or resentment or jealousy or um, whatever it may be, uh, unforgiveness. You need to address those toxic emotions in your life, and you need to get rid of them. Mm, I love that. And... Uh, because when you when if you're going to reopen your life, then you need to open up the windows and do some spring cleaning. And uh, you know, your mom Kim, she has the nose like a basset hound, and she'll go around the house. She goes, "I smell something. I smell gas." In fact, this that was the other day. I smell gas. I think there's gas in the furnace. Sometimes I think she smells things that aren't there. Imaginary smells. Imaginary smells. Next episode. You know? <laughs> yeah. But but she also does smell things and. Um, and so she does like this whole spring cleaning thing. She just starts taking everything out, cleaning everything, making sure everything is fresh. And I love that, that I get to experience the, the wonder of that kind of yeah. freshness. Yeah. You have to do the same thing in your life. You need to open the windows and get rid of all the toxic stuff that's been there over the last year so that you can actually step into your future in a healthy way. Mm, I love it. I think we should wrap it up on that. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, sure. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode on how to reopen, not just the world, but yourself. Mm. I'm really excited about doing Battle Readies on Fridays. It's a, it's a treat for us to do it, and I'm so grateful. And thank you for every person who supports the podcast financially on Anchor. You can go to our Instagram if you want to support. Link in bio. The merch is out. There is merch online. All it right, is live. Finally. <laughs> it's simple. simple. It's simple. It's a sweatsuit. It's a hoodie. It's a sweatpant. It says battle ready. It's going to be soft. That's awesome. So go to the website. We're going to leave this one up. So go. Go now. Goodbye. All right. Until the next battle ready. Mm, See you guys soon.